we are jumping into part three of a series that we have titled, Are You Happy? And the reason we've titled that is because we are having a conversation, an open conversation about this question of happiness. Because I think for a lot of us, happiness is one of those come and go things where when things are good, I'm happy. But when things are bad, happiness is the furthest thing from me. Anybody feel that in the room? I believe that the happiness that this book talks about, the happiness with Jesus is one that doesn't leave. It's one that's deeper than feelings. It's deeper than circumstances. It's deeper than bad days. And it's a whole lot deeper than just the fleeting quick moments of the thing that we want that stays with us. That Jesus said himself that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And it's that life that I believe is available to every one of us. We just have to reach for it not very far. It's right in front of us. God's inviting us into it every day. It's the opportunity for us to say yes to him and step into that full of faith. And sometimes the faith step's the scariest step, but it's the right one. It's the one where happiness, real happiness is found. And so with that, the first couple times that we've met, the first sermon I preached, I preached about closing the the door because there's some things that we've probably led into our life that's robbing us from happiness. Last time we met, I talked about watching your mouth because your mouth is your mirror to show you what's going on on the inside of your heart. That if you want to know the status of your heart, watch your mouth. And tonight, it's funny because I'm preaching a sermon I really didn't want to preach. I'm preaching from a text I was really not wanting to preach. Not because it's not a good text, but because it's a text that a lot of you are familiar with. Um, But to kind of cure a little bit of my anxiety in that, I feel like it would only be appropriate in this moment for you to... uh, to talk to your neighbor that's around you, you know, your favorite neighbor, the person, whether it's in front of you, behind you, to the right or the left of you, tell you to turn right now to that neighbor. Look at your favorite neighbor. I don't know where they are. They could be in the back of the room. They could be right beside you. But look to your favorite neighbor. I need you to touch that neighbor and say, hey, neighbor. I'm asking you again, hey, neighbor. I've been waiting all week to sit next to you. And if it's not somebody you're sitting next to, there's a, there's a problem with having a favorite neighbor. There's also a, a not as favorite of a neighbor, your second option of a neighbor. I need you to turn to that neighbor as well. I need you to have a moment with that neighbor where you look longingly into their eyes and you say, hey, second option neighbor. We both know, we both know that you weren't my first choice. But let's be honest, we wouldn't be having this conversation that's too much, too, too much. I'm just going to talk for you. To be honest, we wouldn't be having this conversation if I wasn't your favorite neighbor either. So I'm just going to take this moment to say, neighbor, you're my second favorite neighbor. And I've been waiting to sit next to you too. Some of y'all in trouble for lying. But man, I'm excited to preach uh, this text, man, if you've got a Bible, anybody got a Bible in here? Anybody got a, like an actual Bible? Show me your Bible. Anybody got, got a Bible that glows? A couple people in the room? Okay, awesome. I'm really excited about preaching this. I'm going to be in the Old Testament, starting in 1 Samuel. Anybody know where 1 Samuel is? It's in the Old Testament. If you don't know what the Old Testament is, it's at the front of this book, not at the back of this book. Nothing wrong with the table of contents. Nothing wrong with the Google search. Um, but we're going to be starting tonight in the book of 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'll give you some time to turn there. Are you there? Say, I'm there. If you're not there, I'll give you a little bit more time. Say, hold up. 
I hear that hold up. I respect that hold up. Anybody get nervous when they read the Old Testament? Any, a couple people? I'll tell you the, the coolest thing about the Old Testament as I'm waiting for that person to get their First Samuel 17. The Old Testament has the coolest stories. They, like, you read them and you're like, really? This happened? In this universe, this happened? Because, look, man, I, I'm one of those people that I love movies, I love stories. And for me, I read my Bible differently than I think everyone else. And I don't know about you, if your Bible reading is really dull, you might need to get the BSV, the Blake Standard version of your Bible for you to really feel me when I'm talking about the Old Testament. Because this thing comes alive. And it shows us things, not just about them, but about us. And so with that, if you're there, 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Everybody there? No more holding up? If you, I got to hold up for you. You waited too long. Get your phone out. Okay, here we go. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. I'm going to skip those. I don't know how to say those. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Pause. This is why I didn't want to preach this sermon, because everybody knows this story. Everybody and their mama, even if they didn't grow up in church, they know David and Goliath. So with that, before I keep reading, I need you to make me a promise, okay? You with me? I need to get a little talk. Talk back to me. You, get, you with me? Yeah, we're here, okay? If I preach this, I need you to not zone out because I'm not going to preach it any way you've heard it before. Okay? I'm going to hit it completely different from a completely different angle because what I'm looking at isn't even in focus with David and Goliath. Are you with me? So I need you to ride with me a little bit. Can you all do that? Yes? Thank you. And you all got to talk to me too. Make me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm making sense. Do you know what I mean? Okay, great. Back in it, chapter four, or verse 4. Goliath the Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He was huge, okay? Uh, he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of, javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and I kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I told y'all about that BSV, right? I hope y'all are ready for it because I need you to like really feel me on this story, okay? Because this is the thing when I read it, I was like, whoa, I didn't see that before when I've seen this. And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, when you hear the story of David and Goliath, it's always about you fighting your giant and all that stuff, right? Did you ever consider the other people that are up there, the rest of the army that's there, they just chilling? Why did they show up? You know, if they weren't going to fight, why did they show up? Did you ever ask that question? For me, I've always read this and it was like, oh, they're hiding, okay. They didn't want to fight anyway. But the reality is, is that these guys showed up for a fight. They're there. The Philistine army is ready to go. The Israelite army pulls up. And I just hear from my high school glory days, 
We ready. We ready. We, anybody? We ready. Hey, for y'all and your mama too. We ready. Yeah, yeah, we ready. I need crowd participation. We ready. Oh, y'all, hey, hey. I can just see them just kind of in there with their shield and their sword like, we ready, we ready, we ready. Well, hold up, who is, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We was ready, no, no, now we not ready, no, no, we not ready. That guy's huge. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like they were so ready to fight. They're like, hey, me and my homies are here, bro. We are, <laughs> bro, they lined up. Like, what's up? I, what's up? I wish a Philistine would, bro. I wish he would. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like they, they had that kind of energy. You got to have that kind of energy ready to kill somebody. You know what I mean? We just make it seem like they just were showing up like... I feel like they had some, like, some, like, confidence and some, like, swag to them. Like, we the army of God, bro. What's up? And then this dude walks out, and they're like, so we'll see what had happened was I was ready to fight, but see, I didn't eat the right cereal this morning. <laughs> my stomach off. My, I got to I gotta go. I got to go somewhere else, somewhere else. And just laugh so hard at this because I was like, they actually showed up to fight. They showed up to fight. So what happened? One dude steps out. He's huge. Nine foot tall. LeBron James come out of nowhere, just taller than LeBron. And all these guys are like, well, you going to go fight him? He going to fight one of us, not all of us? Y'all sure we can't go jump him? Or we got to like one-on-one -on -one with this guy? Well, if we got a one-on-one, I'm going to let you one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm going to let you one. I'm not, I'm not going to do I'm not see the way I'm set up. I'm maybe 5'11 and a half, and a half is a maybe a half. Do you know what I'm saying? It's nine foot tall, bro. There's two of me. Kind of. The math is different. But you know what I'm saying? Like, he's big. I can just see the internal dialogue of these men going like, well, we showed up for a battle, but we didn't show up for this. You with me? We showed up to fight. But we didn't show up to fight alone. See, y'all missed it. There's a completely different energy when you're showing up to fight with your people. When you got community around, when you got people around you, it's a completely different energy when you got to show up and it's just you. See, I think when I was reading this, I felt like God was speaking to me. He said, that's what the church looks like right now. That we got people talking about community. We need community. Yes, community. Awesome. Yeah, great. But we got nobody willing to stand up and fight alone. And know some of you reading like all these books, and you're like, whoa, 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 pause. I heard too many sermons about community, bro. Too many of them. That I can't be alone. I don't need to be alone. Do need to walk alone. God told Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Anybody heard that before? That you need your people. Find your people. Jenny Allen wrote a whole book about it. Find your people. That your community is everything. Don't walk through life alone. You need people in your life. You need a safe place. I've even probably even communicated this to you once or twice, right? But you know, I think what we might do sometimes is sometimes we make one thing that is correct and needed because I don't know if you know this or not, but the Christian faith is a corporate faith. It's a faith where we are all the body of Christ. It is us together. Does that make sense? Y'all following me? 
that the world knows that we're believers in Jesus by the way that we love one another, by our unity, by our community. Make sense? But know what's also crazy? Not only is it a unified, collective, corporate faith, it's an individual faith. Last, last time we met, I preached a text and it said that every tree will be measured by its own fruit. That just because that tree is in an orchard doesn't mean that that one tree isn't responsible for itself. That there is an individual relationship with God that has to be considered. And I think for a lot of us in these Christian circles that we run in or even in church or even what we've even heard from secular world, we need people around us. But the reality is, is that we can't hold those two things at different levels. Community does not trump individualism. Individualism doesn't trump the necessary, ne like the necessary need for community. You need both of them. But what we've done is we've said we need community and we've neglected being alone. And that's why tonight I want to preach from the title, Lonely Places. Touch your neighbor. I know it's not a sexy title, but you know what? Sometimes it's not the sexy title that talks. It's the real one that talks. Touch your neighbor. Say, Lonely Places. Some of y'all said, I speak against that in the name of Jesus. I'm not being alone. No, God, I don't want that. Lonely places. And as I'm reading this story, as I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering, why was David so much different than everyone else? There was a whole army of people who were unwilling to fight this guy. Why was David the only one? And some of the smart people in the room that know the Bible are like, well, he was anointed by God and he's going to be the king and blah, we know the story. You know what I mean? But I would say that's not, that's afterwards. That's not the reason why David was prepared to stand up and fight alone. I would submit to you tonight that the only reason that David was prepared and ready to fight alone was because he was already used to being alone, that he was familiar with the lonely place. I believe that in a culture where it's easier just to get along and go along, not say anything that ruffles any feathers, not to say anything that is combative or seems like unagreeable, you with me? That it's gonna take some people in the body of Christ to stand up for what's right, to stand up against the things that are hurting other people, even if at times they're the only ones standing up. Because David walked with a confidence with God that I think has been void of a lot of our lives and that's why we're not happy. Because God's designed us to walk in a confidence with him where we say, if no one else stands up, I'll stand up for you. I'll stand up for the things of God. I'll stand up and fight for people. I'll stand up and show up for people who need to be loved. I'll be the one to say things that, to bring correction to a few things that are bringing death and disorder to people's lives, even if it hurts their feelings, because I care about them, because God cares about them. That if we're gonna be people who stand up in a culture that sits down, we have to be people who are willing to be familiar with the lonely place. You with me? David, I love this about his story because David, we mostly see him as just this giant slayer, right? That he's the guy with the sling and the stones. He knocks him out. Then he's king. Y'all know David. David gets a lot of a love later on. He's the man after God's own heart, all those things. The thing I love about most about David is that David's life shows us what it looks like to live well in the lonely place. Some of you are like, why does God put people in lonely places? Why was that something that God would wanna do? And we're here to tell you tonight is God will often lead you into places in your life where you feel lonely. Even if you're surrounded by other people, you can still be lonely. 
You can be in lonely places in your life because God wants to do a couple of things. First is, God will use the lonely place, the isolating place, to cultivate intimacy. That is the lonely place. It is where it's just you and God, where he will cultivate this relationship with him that you would not have without it. Anybody know anything about Jesus? It would say often that he would leave crowds and he would leave and go to deserted places, to lonely places, to pray and meet with his father. Not only that, but Abraham, Jacob, Joseph. It's, it's literally everybody in the, he literally moves people away from other people into a place where it's just them and God to see what's in their heart, to meet with them, to speak to them, to guide them, to nurture them, to build that relationship with them. But that's secondary. The primary thing that God uses the lonely place for is to test you. And some of you are like, nah, the devil's a liar. God not testing me. And I would say, maybe you ought to pick up your Bible because God tests his people. It says in Hebrews that those he calls sons, he disciplines. That the testing of God is to actually reveal what's on the inside of you. And that the lonely place is often the place where God will lead you to be tested. And some of you are like, wait, what do you mean tested, tested? I need to be clear. Testing and temptation are two very different things. Testing is by God's hand, and it is to provide you a space for the thing that he put in you to come out. Temptation is not God's thing. But here's the thing. It's hard when you're in the middle of the test to distinguish between temptation and testing. Temptation is designed for you to fall for it, for it to destroy you, not to actually make you. But the testing of God is actually him developing you and making you into the thing he purposed you to be. I think for us, if we were to think that God won't test us, it's like a coach saying, hey, I want you to go out and play well without making you practice. That the testing of God is actually to cultivate in you the ability to do the thing he put on your life to do. In this text, David himself, he finds himself in a place of testing. And it's funny. I don't know if you know this or not, but God will test you in three different ways. He'll test you in three different ways. Sometimes he'll test you by your own hand, your own decisions. God, I keep on finding myself in this place where I keep on feeling like I'm alone and all this. And God's like, yeah, you did that by your own hand. You rude to people. That's why people don't want to be around you. It's not because I did it. It's because you did it. Now, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things. That, Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob's a deceiver. And he, he ends up being deceived. Why? Because of his own doing. But God uses it. Not only does he use our hand, he uses the hand of others. If you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph has 12 brothers. He tells them about a dream where they're going to bow down to him. They don't really like that dream too much. They throw him in a well and they sell him into slavery. He spends 13 years as a slave just for sharing his brothers a dream that he had, which God had actually given him. And the funniest thing about that dream is on the, on the back end of that, it comes true. He's second in command over Pharaoh, and those, his brothers are before him, and they're bowing down, and he weeps. That God has used that testing in that trial period to completely change his heart from a place of pride into a place of humility. That his life, if you ask him about it, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That even the hand of other people against you can be a test. David is in that exact same situation. David, in chapter 16 Samuel, and just to give context, I know some of you are like, who is Samuel? I don't know anything about any of this. Samuel's a prophet of God. This is the name of the person who this book is written after, Samuel. 
Samuel hears from the Lord and he speaks. And he is told earlier on in this book that there's a man by the name of Saul that he's going to anoint to be king over Israel. And what happens is he anoints Saul and Saul is disobedient. He doesn't trust God. He's insecure and he leads from an insecure place and it ends up in his ruin and his removal of God's spirit on him to be the king. And so God says to Samuel, hey, I've made for myself someone to be a king. Talking about David. And he tells Samuel, go to Bethlehem and anoint Jesse's son to be king. So Samuel shows up. He pulls up. Like I said, BSV version tonight. He pulls up. He's like, hey. And everybody there is afraid because Samuel is like a bad dude. Like, they like, he means business. They're like, do you come in peace or no? Because we'll run. Like, we're not, I'm not playing with you, Samuel. I know God's on you. I'm not trying to get burnt up anyway. Anybody with me? No? A couple people read the Bible before? But David, he shows up. And Samuel goes and he says to them in chapter 16, verse 5. He says, peaceably I've come. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves or set apart yourselves for the sacrifice and come with me to this. And he specifically consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. That he shows up to the town and there's all these people like, oh, Samuel is here. And he's like, hey, y'all, I want to meet with your family. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourself apart to be here. So the reason why that's important, I need you to hold on to that because sometimes we'll run through pieces of scripture and we won't know why it's even there. That right there is to show you that there was an intention for every one of Samuel's, uh, not Samuel, excuse me, Jesse's family to be there. All his sons were supposed to be there. And what's crazy is it says that there are seven of his sons present, but David's not present. That he goes one by one by one through all seven of these sons, and he's like, that, not him, not him, not him, not him, all the way to the very end. He's like, do you have any more sons? He's like, oh, yeah, there's this one, the, the youngest, doesn't even call him by name, the youngest, he's out dealing with the sheep. And Samuel's like, I can just see it in my, stop playing with me. I already told you to bring your sons. Why is your son not here? And the reason why he's not there, which a lot of scholars believe, is because he's an illegitimate son of Jesse that he is a son who is not born from the other brother's mom. That is a adulterous affair that has conceived David, which is why David in the Psalm says, in iniquity I've been conceived. That, in, that people use that for like, oh, I'm born in sin. Like, no, no, no. He's talking about his, his parents' union that created him is the reason why he is being ostracized and cast out by his own father. That you can't be seen with us. If anybody's seen Game of Thrones, think about like Jon Snow. Okay, that's kind of the feel. Anybody, any, any people in here? Don't watch it, never mind, okay. But he's left out purposefully. Nothing that he's done wrong. And sometimes there's gonna be things in your life that you're gonna find yourself in a lonely place when you've done nothing wrong. And it is in that very place that God will use. It says that God himself made a king for himself. God provided that even someone else's hand causing a test, causing a lonely place is actually God's hand. Lastly, I think about God in his own hand. It says in the New Testament, when Jesus is tested, it said that after he was baptized, the spirit of God led him to the wilderness to be tested. That all of these moments of the lonely place are provided for us to be tested, to see what's really in our heart, to see what we are actually made of. 
You know, it's funny, David, when he's actually referred to a man after God's own heart, it's not when he's king. It's when he's a kid in the field watching the sheep. David shows up in this moment, and he is anointed king. And it's funny. I think for a lot of us, we think that was the moment that he made it. Man, I've been in this lonely place for so long. I've been faithful to watch these sheep. I can't even get invited into my father's house because I'm ostracized to be out here. I wake up, I go to bed, and I'm out here in the field. And his lonely place creates something in him that actually enables him to slay a giant. It is actually what qualifies him to be king. You know, I always wondered why they would always say, and God was with David. And God was with David. And I thought about that, and I was like, maybe the reason that God was always with David was because David was always with him. That every time God called him into something, he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, yeah, I'll be faithful to these sheep. Not only was this story important to know that David is faithful to these sheep, later on we hear that a lion and a bear came, and he fought those two uh, bears and lions. And he saved these sheep. He risked his life. He laid his life down for a sheep a mirror image of what Jesus would do. And right before this, we see Saul, who is in charge of his father's donkeys. And he bails out. I'm good. I'm not going to take care of him. And we see the way that that plays out in this lonely place where nobody is watching, in the place of darkness, in the place of where it's secret and only your integrity matters. David shows something that's in his heart and is actually what qualifies him to be the king. Not only is this important to know that this lonely place is a place of testing and a place of intimacy where he grows and he cultivates this relationship with God, but it's also a place of protection. You know, David, he, uh, he goes to get anointed. I don't know if you've got siblings, but like siblings don't really get along, especially if there's a favorite sibling. Anybody got any brothers, sisters in here? It's always a fight when something your brother or sister gets that you don't get, especially if you're the older one. Like, what you mean my little brother gets to what? For real? Like, y'all thought he was lonely before. Wait till he got anointed and all seven of his brothers are like, forget that guy. He gets sent back into the field for his own protection. You know, sometimes God might let you be in a lonely place, not because he's mad at you, not because you've done something wrong, but maybe he's trying to protect you. You know, Saul, I'm sure Saul wouldn't really like that he got anointed king and be his replacement. But Saul actually invites him into his palace. He doesn't even know that God hid David, that he let him stay in that lonely place to provide for him to once at some point become king. You know, I think for a lot of us, we get into places in life and we wonder, like, God, why are you not moving fast enough? Why are you not making this happen for me? I've failed this one class, and now I've got to be at SFA for a whole other year. Anybody in this room? Sorry if I'm not trying to, you know. Or dang, I thought this was going to be my person, they broke up with you. Or whatever it is. Like there's this negative thing that stops the trajectory of your life. And you're like, God, why would you let me go to this place, this lonely place, this empty place? I'm here to tell you that some things that are not in the timing of God, they're not a blessing, they're cursed. The right thing at the wrong time is not a blessing, it's a curse. The right thing at the wrong time is not a blessing, it's a curse. See, David... He wasn't waiting to be in, he wasn't even waiting for this. He didn't know it was coming. He's just being faithful, doing what God told him to do. And he gets anointed by Samuel. He gets promised to be king. And guess what? 
for a lot of us, we're waiting like, yes, this is our moment. Yes, I made it. I get to be king now. I got anointed. That means I'm promised that I will be king. That's what that means. And do you know how long it took David to be a king? So he fully got to realize what he was promised? 22 more years. We won't even wait 22 months to see God come through for something for us. 22 years. 22 years. See, for us, I think a lot of times we don't realize that the waiting place and the lonely place is not just a place of testing. It's not just a place of protection. It's not just a place of intimacy, but it's a place of development. And we have to let the place do its work. I don't know if y'all have ever seen one of these. I know. Um, I have. My daughter has this, and I stole it from her. Don't tell her about it. She'll be upset. Have y'all ever seen one of these? It's pink, yeah, and I think we dropped it. That's why there's duct tape on it, so no judgment, okay? But see, these cameras, man, they, y'all know that you take a picture and it, like, comes out, right? I'll show you. Y'all mind if I take a picture of the girl? Y'all cool with that? Okay, I'm going to be right here. Cool? Why is there no picture on it, though? Well, that didn't work. Let me try it again. Hold on, hold on. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. I'm not supposed to shake it? Some of y'all, that's a word for you. You don't need to shake up your world because you're not getting what you want. Woo, Jesus, that's a word. That was, that was prophetic if I've ever heard it. Do you think I need to get, like, a light on it? Or I need to, like, do something to it? Let me pray over it. Jesus, I need this. Doesn't work. Okay, let me try one more time. Maybe it's this side of the room. Hold on. I don't know why it's not on there yet. And as you might know, and as I also know, the reason why it's not on there is because I have not given it time to develop. It's funny, we look at our life this way and we wonder why the things that we want haven't happened yet. You haven't given it time to develop. That God in his goodness will let you sit in a lonely place until you develop. Until he puts the things in you to do the thing he made you to do. That he will let you sit and you're like, God, I just can't wait to be. I'm I'm ready. You promised me. God, you promised me. You told me you gave me a word that I was going to do this. And you not come true on your promise, God. And God's looking at us like, if you would only wait. If you would only have some patience, if you would only see that I'm doing what I'm doing to make you into somebody who can handle the thing I'm giving to you. You know the thing I love about David is David had multiple opportunities to figure it out himself and make himself king. A couple of chapters later, not even one chapter later, he gets invited into the palace. Saul is having these super bad episodes where he is having nightmares and he's feeling like, I need something to bring me some peace. And David, he gets invited into the palace because he has a name before he ever defeats Goliath. Because he works his way. He's actually doing something to develop himself while he is waiting for the thing that's been promised to him. The thing I love about David is that he has a reputation for himself before he's ever fought a battle. It says that Saul is asking his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. 
one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. That's funny. I don't remember him fighting any battles yet. I don't remember him doing anything courageous other than watching over some sheep. How does he have a name for himself? So much so that of all the people of Israel, he is chosen to go into the palace to play for the king when he is vexed. You know what vexed means? Oh, I just can't handle this. If David really anointed, the kingdom's his. He's anointed. He could have killed Saul at any moment. He could have took it into his own hands and made it happen, even as a 15-year-old kid. Later on, if you follow David's story, David is on the run. He's actually, after he defeats Goliath, he's on the run from Saul for 13 years, going from cave to cave, acting crazy to Philistines, and they let him come live with them because he's running from his life, from his own people. And David, he finds himself with his men behind him in a cave, and Saul comes in there to use the bathroom, which is just kind of funny to me. He's in the ba- He's using the bathroom, doing his thing, and David rolls up behind him, and all his men are like, yo, kill him. Take it. It's yours. It's already yours, bro. Just take it from him. And David has the presence of mind to say, I never put myself in the position that I'm in by doing anything like that. I've let God move me every moment of my life. I'm not going to step out and touch the person that God anointed ever because if God wants me to be king, he'll provide it in his exact timing. I'm not going to outpace and outstep what God has for me. I'm not going to try to force things to happen without God on it. Like I told you before, the right thing at the wrong time is not a blessing, it's a curse. So for some of you in this room, you are so ready to be developed. You're so ready to do the thing that God put on your heart to do. You're so ready to be out in the world, so ready. But what if I told you that if you rush that, you would miss the job that God actually is preparing for you? What if that extra year that you're mad about being here, what if that job isn't even ready until the year after? If you graduate early, you graduate out of time or you do something out of time, your husband, your wife, you're calling on your life. God is literally leading your life to every single point of it, every detour, every roadblock, every stop is intentional. And if we're not careful, we'll become people who live our life looking at these, they actually look terrible, by the way, it's just my face. Um, We'll be people that look like that, looking at a picture that God's already promised. It's already on there, it's already done. It just needs time to get developed that God's promised some things over your life, that his word says that you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepared beforehand, before the foundations of the earth, that you would walk in them. There's no maybe, no ifs, ands, or buts. God made you for something. And he, in his timing, will move you through your life to do the thing he made you to do. And he will use the lonely place to develop that in you. And we have to become familiar, and we have to let the lonely place do its work. We have to. We have to. Otherwise, David gets to this situation with Goliath, and he would have had no, any kind of opportunity to even prepare. He wouldn't even know how to sling a slingshot if he didn't practice. Y'all think about that? How good this man had to be to, to go like this and hit a guy? This is not one of these. You know what I mean? It's not. He out of nowhere was. And hit him right in the head. Like, like what? 
his, your head, I mean, he's 10, 9 foot tall, but his head is not this big. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like still small. David had to be so skilled with what he did. And how does he get skilled other than practice? Other than time after time after time after time after day after day after day of working the thing that was in his hand. I think some of us, we are waiting for the giant to show up to practice. That we are waiting for our moment to step into glory, our thing that we were made for, and we haven't even prepared for it. That once the giant shows up, can you imagine how badly this story would have went if David never would have picked up a sling and a stone? And he was like, yeah, bro, I'm ready. God's with me. <laughs> Missed. <laughs> Dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what happened. It would happen. How dumb is it for us that we want what God's promised us, but we don't even want to face the giant and much less prepare for the giant? If we want to be people who stand up in a world that everyone else is sitting down, we have to prepare to do the thing that God called us to do, even if it takes a long time. Even if it takes a long time. My third point, last thing I got tonight. And I talked about testing earlier, and I think this is important because I think a lot of you, you're in a season of loneliness where you feel just going through some stuff whether it's a breakup, whether it's bad things happening. It could even be a good time right now when a test is coming. Every time God wants to elevate you and every time God has new ground for you to take, he puts you through a test because at the end of the test, know what comes? Authority and ability to do the thing he's made for you to do. That every test precedes something that he has for you. Because if there's no test beforehand, you're not ready for the thing that's up here, right? And so with that, I need to be clear, and I talked about this at the beginning a little bit, that every test that God puts you on a test, how it's different than a temptation, for every test that you will ever go through, there will always be a temptation. For every test, there's a temptation. And David's no different. David in this story, he goes and he hears, he hears Goliath, right? Which is just so cold. If y'all didn't see this in the Bible, go and highlight that, okay? In verse 23 of chapter 17, David shows up and he's bringing some grilled cheeses to his brothers. He's bringing some bread and some cheese, the grilled cheeses to me, um, to his brothers who are in battle. And he says when he shows up that Goliath comes out and he says the same thing he's been saying for 40 days. And then it says, but David heard. When you've been developed and you've let the lonely place do its work, the things that everyone else hears and scares them will become something that gives you faith. That what everybody else hears is an obstacle, it will not be an opportunity for you because you've let the development of God wash over your life and the things that once stopped people are now the things that spur you on into faith. David hears the exact same thing that these other men hear. It's no different. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter what's said, it matters who hears it doesn't matter who, what's said, it matters who hears it. David, right after this, he has this exchange with his brother, which I also want to note because I think this is part of that temptation. For some of you, when you have been developed and you come on that other side and when everybody else is afraid and you have faith and you speak up, sometimes the closest people to you will speak doubt into that faith. His own brother passed over for him. That ought to tell you he's a hater already. That his brother says, I know the evil that's in your heart. 
you just came down here to see the battle. And David's like, nah, bro, I'm actually really in, uh, encouraged and I'm really excited about what the promise is that I'm hearing Saul's going to give for the man who go fights this guy. He's going to be royalty? I get to marry a Saul's daughter? I get to be like in the royal line? That's dope. Sign me up. Second, no taxes? Bro, dad will be super pumped about this. Like, I just think about how he's like, are y'all for real? Like, blessing? My dad's always trying to hook me up with somebody. My parents trying to hook me up with somebody. The king's daughter, bro, my dad's going to love me now. Think about it. He is hearing all this, and he's like, this is a pretty sweet deal, bro. And his brother, when he sees him say, oh, I'm, I'm down to fight him. I'll go do it. He says, I see, I see what you're really about. I see what's really in your heart. You don't actually have faith in there. You don't actually have good intentions. You have evil in your heart. That's why you got to be careful about who you let speak into the faith that's in your heart. Because if you let the wrong people speak into it, it will stop your faith and it will now change what you heard as an opportunity back into an obstacle. Back into a reason why not. That's why if you are surrounded by people who are afraid like David, you do not need those people to be speaking into your life. That's why sometimes community is toxic. Because it takes healthy people in a community for that community to be healthy. If you have unhealthy people, but you got friends that are unhealthy, guess what? You will never elevate out of that unhealth. It will not happen. There has to be an individual healthiness to happen for you to step into what God has for you. Otherwise, you will always maintain at that level of where everyone else is comfortable. That's why a lot of times when you start changing, all your friends get mad. Bro, why are you acting all different? You're acting brand new. You last week were just out here doing this with us. You don't do that anymore? You too good for us? Oh, so you're going to church now. Am I lying? That's the way it goes. That if you surround yourself with people who are not trying to step into what the same thing you're stepping into, they're not walking in that same measure of faith, it's time to get some new friends. Let me get back into my point. I'm not even, I got to preach my thing. Hold on. Let me get some water. Is this helpful? Y'all bored? Y'all looking at me like, I don't like anything he has to say. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. David, when tested, he is given an opportunity to be tempted. You know, he tells Saul, I've been fighting since I was a youth. I've been Paul the lion, Paul the bear. I'm ready for this. Like, like David really has the, I'm ready. He, he's got the energy right now, even when no one else has the energy. And Saul's like, no, you can't do this. You are unable, sir. This is not for you. This is for the grown-ups. And what's so funny, if you don't know this about the story, that Saul is actually the giant of Israel. He's head and shoulders above every man of Israel. But he is unwilling to go forward while David, a 15-year-old, is willing to go fight. He starts talking to the men, and David gets brought before Saul. And he says to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine, this is verse 33, to fight with him, for you are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And is this uncircumcised Philistine, which pause. If y'all ever see that, know what that means? That the promise of God is not on their life. That circumcision, which is weird, I know, we're in the, you know, that, sorry, I just, this is the Bible, okay? If you ever see that, the circumcision is the mark of the covenant of God with his people. 
So to say that that person is uncircumcised, that means he does not have the favor or hand of God on their life. He has no chance against me because I have the favor and promise of God on my life. I wish someone in this room would get something in their spirit that says, I have the favor and promise of God on my life. I'm going to walk forward in faith and believe that God's going to be with me because he is on me. His Holy Spirit is in me. There's something different when you realize that people out there that don't have that do not have the advantage. You have the advantage. Why? Because the king of the universe is your dad. It's your dad. This is why it's not that, it, this is not a flex for David. David's like, bro, why are y'all not on this level with me? I see this differently than they do. Have you not read the Old Testament? Have you not seen the way that God's delivered? How am I not going to move in faith? That's how we ought to be. That's how our confidence ought to shine through. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. But then, and this is really important, this is where I'm getting to. Sorry, I've been taking the detour. It says, Saul clothed David in his armor. I want to give y'all a picture, okay? I want y'all to get the BSV version, okay? I want y'all to walk away with this, all right? I'm going to need a volunteer, a small volunteer. I, okay, yeah, I need you to be my volunteer. Okay, so I need you to get this in your mind, all right? Saul, he hears this from David. He's like, you know what? I see you, big fella. Do your thing. Go and go get him. Get him then. But then he's like, you know what? Nah, bro, I can't send you out there like that. You not, you're not ready. You're not equipped to go fight that man. L hold on, I'm, I got you. I got you. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. All right, stay right there. Okay, hold on, let me see. You know what, because he might shoot low. You're going to need to put some armor on your legs. Go and put that on. Go and put that on. I know I'm head and shoulders taller than you, but that, it's going to fit perfect, I promise. It's going to get you ready. Not only that, hold on, we got to get some armor and a coat of mail we got to get a coat of mail yeah because you know he might he might really he, he hit you with that he hit you with that sword bro it's over you better have some of that on you okay not only that but you need a helmet lord jesus we need the helmet of the gospel you know cover that head up because lord jesus there's a melon right there okay well, thank you you know what you look ready but you know what they say michael jordan didn't play without his his jordans on so we're gonna need to get you some shoes on go and put them Go and put them on too, because you know what? If you get to running, you need to have some traction to really get them legs just moving. Do you know what I'm saying? So how you feel? You look great. You look, you look, you look ready. But you y'all think she looks ready? Fight a giant. You cover. You got your helmet on. See, the helmet kind of fits kind of good though, huh? You know what's crazy? Sometimes things will fit that were never meant to fit you, but you'll wear them anyway. Woo. Let me just go ahead and just leave that one. You'll catch that one later. Do you see how ridiculous she looks? No shade, no shade. She just looks ridiculous, right? Why? Why? Because it don't fit her. It don't fit her. Saul clothed David in his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go. That means he was unable to go. Why? Because it don't fit. 
And you know what's crazy about temptation on the middle of a test? I'm done with you. Appreciate you. Do you know, <laughs> do you know what's, what's actually funny about that? Is that you look just as silly when you fall for temptation. Because at one level, it makes sense. At one level, it's appetizing and it makes sense. Like, oh, I, okay, definitely, I could do that. That makes sense to me. I need a helmet. I ain't got a helmet. I'm going to go fight him without a helmet? Well, this one kind of fits. Oh, well, okay, I'll wear that one. All right. Well, I don't have a coat of mail. I got nothing. All I got is these stones and I got a sling and I got a staff. Like, that's it. And he's like, bro, that dude's got a javelin. He's got a sword. He's even got an armor bearer, bro. Were well, you about to go up there with some rocks? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> let me help you out, bro. And David, in this moment, he allows Saul to start to put some things on him that were never meant to be on him. See, the temptation for David in this story was to go out as someone different than himself. He tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. David never picked up a sword before. What sense would it make for him to go fight a man who's been fighting his whole life with a sword if he's never touched one? I think about this story with David, and I think it's true of us. God's going to put you in situations in your life where you feel like you need to be someone other than yourself to be successful in the thing he's put you in to do. Because you don't believe in yourself. That you have reasons in your life that you feel like make you inadequate. Like David had that same opportunity. I've been left out. My family doesn't even want me. Maybe I ought to be somebody different than me because that seems too big for me to do. Because all I have is a rock and a stick. And what if I told you tonight that the only reason that David won that fight is because he fought as himself and he fought with what he had in his hand, not what he thought he needed? For every test, there's a temptation. Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness, he goes in and Satan comes to tempt him. He says, hey, turn these rocks into loaves of bread. Essentially, hey, you've not eaten for 40 days. This will kind of cure that. And I just think it's so funny that he would use bread. Because if I was Jesus and I was hungry for 40 days, I promise you I'd eat more than bread. It just doesn't make sense. You want me to fail my test for some bread? Bread is $2. It might be more now for session. But do you want me to fail my test for some bread? The second temptation was, hey, I want you to go up to this tall building. I want you to jump off and let the angels catch you because it will show that God's with you. And if I was Jesus, I would have laughed and said, I don't know if you have your Bible open, but just a chapter before this, my father said that he was pleased with me, that he is, his spirit has rested on me, that I'm his son and he's well pleased. I don't need to prove anything to you. That temptation doesn't even make sense. And the last one, he comes to him and he says, hey, all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours if you bow down to me. And I just think that is just so hilarious. And the reason why it's, it's a temptation is because it meant kingdoms without the cross. Hey, I'll give you the crown that you deserve without the cross. And the funniest thing about Jesus is Jesus said, they're already mine anyway. Why would I need to bow to you? Somebody says, but that's what makes sense, right? For some of you, you need to realize that every test that you're on, the temptation that's going to come is one that if you really give it some thought, it won't make sense.
One day you guys are gonna get married. For the most, if you want to. I mean, that's an option. Don't, I'm not promising a husband or a wife, sorry. I wish I could, you know, they're awesome. But you think about what all there is to lose in one moment. In one moment, you could fall for a temptation that ruins your marriage permanently. It's over from one decision. Do you think that that's a smart decision? No, but it's the temptation, right? For you to not have integrity because no one else sees it, but then someone finds out and you lose your job, it doesn't make sense. For some of you in here, the temptation is actually to quit on what God has told you to press forward in and to have faith in and to keep walking forward in. Because if you quit, he can rob you of the purpose that's on your life. And God is not cool with that. God's put too much into you. He spent too much time developing you. He spent too much time caring about you from the time that you were born, even before you were born. In your mother's womb, it says that he knit you together. He put you together bit by bit. He placed you in the family you're in. He placed you in the, even the broken places you in, you've been in. He is guided and walked with his hand on your life because there's a purpose on your life that only you can do. And that's why this temptation is for you to be someone other than you. And I'm here to tell you the giant that you're facing can only be defeated by you as you. Not as you as me, not as you as a friend that you like, not as you as some influencer you follow, not even you as you wanna be, you as you are right now. The thing I love about David the most is what David does in response right after this. He puts them on, he's like, sure, I'll put them on. No, these don't fit, I'm not wearing these, now I'm out. And he goes down to the brook and he pulls out five smooth stones. And if you don't know this, and if you haven't read the rest of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, wouldn't know this, that he picks out five specifically. One, he only uses one. He doesn't miss. And with David's kind of confidence, I don't think he planned to miss. If you looked close enough and you read the rest of this book, you would see that Goliath has four brothers. That David in this moment says, I'm going to get five because I've got one for you and everybody that looks like you. For every giant that's to come, I got something for you because I'm full of faith. God's put something on my life and I'm only gonna use the thing you put in my hand because if I have just faith that he has done something in my life, that he is gonna continue to do something in my life, that he has given me more than enough to do it with what I have in my hand. I don't need to add anything else. I don't need to accessorize anything because I think it makes sense. I need to be me. I think some of you have tried so hard not to be yourself. And I just feel this like from God's heart saying, you've tried to be like somebody you admire. You've tried to be like somebody that you respect. You've tried to change the little bitty things about you that you don't like about yourself. And I'm here to tell you that God's placed them there, one, to meet with you in them and to develop you through them, but also because you need it to face the giant that you're facing. The thing I left out about this whole story and at the very end of this, when he defeats Goliath, he takes his sword. And the key to that thing is, is that David didn't know it at the time, but the weapon that the enemy used against him would you, like in the future be his weapon. That he took the weapon of the enemy, Goliath's weapon, and later on in his life, it became the weapon that he fought with. I'm here to tell some of you right now, the giant that you're facing, the weapon that he's coming against you with, is the very thing God is gonna use to fight the battles he has for you in the future.
that the anxiety that you're facing, that the depression that you're facing, that the hurt that you're facing, that the abuse that you're facing, that the hurt, the brokenheartedness that you're, like you literally feel it. The thing that's weighing you down, the thing that the enemy is trying to wipe you out with is the very thing God is gonna use to purpose you in your life for you to use that as a weapon of your warfare, not the enemy's. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, that Jesus has the ultimate trump card, that the thing that the enemy tries to use to beat you is the very thing you defeat him with. And so I just wanna take a moment right now and I just, I think after hearing sermons like these or one where there's just a lot of different things, I, I wanna give you an opportunity to hear from God just individually where you're at. So if you would just close your eyes, I just want you to have a moment with Jesus. And I just want you to say, God, I believe that you're doing something in my life. That I believe that the lonely place that I find myself in, even if I'm surrounded by people, and even if I feel like I'm okay, that that lonely place that I'm afraid to enter back into because I have to see myself and my own brokenness, would you speak into that place? That in this moment, I want you to ask God, is there something that I need to let go of? Is there something in my life that I've held on to that you are so desperately trying to get out of my hand, whether I've put it on thinking that it was gonna make me worthy putting it on, thinking that it was gonna change the way that I feel about myself, the way that I'm gonna do the thing I wanna do, the thing that I feel like you've called me to do? Is there something I need to take off of me that I've put on and that I've been trying to act like it fits? And would you give me the strength to take it off? Whether it's been things that I've done to make friends, make people to like me, to make me like myself, God, can you help me take it off? God, are, some, are there some things that I need to pick up that are yours? Are some things that you're calling me into, God? Are you calling me into something specific? And if so, ask him for patience as you wait to be developed. And lastly, I know a lot of you growing up in church, churches might have maybe been your thing. Some of you, maybe this is your first time in a church. God, do you wanna meet with me in my lonely place? That the place of isolation in my life is actually a place that you wanna create intimacy with me. Is there something I need to take off? Is there something that I need to pick up? And is there something that you're calling me to believe? God, I pray that you would just touch every heart in this room. Or those who are trying to figure out what next steps with you look like. I mean, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak so clearly to every heart in this room. That if there are hidden battles that they've been fighting, God, I pray that you would give them strength to keep going. Perseverance to keep believing that you're good. God, I pray that you would lift the head of the discouraged, that you would bind up the brokenhearted right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray.